Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43, as we move toward Easter, as we look at the events coming up to the resurrection of our, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we look today at the crucifixion and we look at a remarkable convert of Jesus Christ. Let's read these verses together. Luke 23, beginning in verse 32, says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged called, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Max Lucado wrote a wonderful book called Six Hours, One Friday. And in that book, he describes this remarkable conversion scene and this remarkable convert of Jesus. Max Lucado says this, Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. The centurion came in the middle of the day. The leper and the sinful woman appeared in the middle of crowds. Zacchaeus appeared in the middle of a tree. Matthew had a party for him. The educated, the powerful, the rejected, the sick, the lonely, the wealthy. Who would have assembled such a crew? All they had in common were their empty hope chests, long left vacant by charlatans and profiteers. Though they had nothing to offer, they asked for everything. A new birth, a second chance, a fresh start a clean conscience, and without exception, their requests were honored. And now, one more beggar comes with a request, only minutes from the death of them both. He stands before the king. He will ask for crumbs, and he, like the others, will receive a whole loaf. Look at the paths of these three men who are meeting in death here on Calvary. Two were completely guilty. One is completely innocent. Contrast these three men and their situation. Jesus Christ had been out in the open. Everything that He had done in the last three years, He had done out in the open for everyone to see. He went about healing the lame, the sick, raising the dead. He'd been about preaching in the synagogues, teaching in the public square, and loving and caring and having compassion on people 
that no one had ever witnessed before. Jesus had done everything righteous, and everything He did was in full view uh, for everyone to see. The other two men who are dying here had not been out in the open. They'd been hiding on desert roads, robbing people and murdering people. Everything that they did was evil, and everything that they had done was done in darkness. Two of these men are paying debts to society, and one is paying our debt of sin. One is dying in sin, one is dying to sin, and one is dying for sinners. Let's look at why this conversion is so remarkable this morning. First of all, it fulfills a lot of remarkable prophecies in Scripture. In verse number 32, uh, it's pointed out that Jesus was hung with two criminals. The Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled through His life, death, and resurrection. Several of these prophecies are fulfilled in the last 48 hours of Jesus' life. Look at the remarkable length of time between these prophecies that I'll read and the moment that they're fulfilled. Psalm 41 and 9, written in 1000 B.C., says that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, written in 520 B.C., says that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 50 and 6, written in 700 B.C., says that Jesus would be spat on and beaten. Also, two others from 700 B.C. from the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 said that Jesus would be silent before His accusers and that Jesus would die for our sins. Psalm 22 and 18, written in 1000 B.C., King David said that they would gamble for His clothes. Isaiah 53, 9 says that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb and the one that matters most to us this morning is Isaiah 53, 12, which says that he would be numbered with the transgressors. So, all of these things happened to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and how these things would be fulfilled through Him. Now, Earlier, sometime earlier, James and John would ask a peculiar question of the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, they would say this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want, to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink and with baptism and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
James and John came to Jesus asking this request because they thought that at, one, at some point in Jesus' ministry here that Jesus would exalt Himself and with Himself He would also exalt those who were following Him. James and John wanted to get ahead of everybody else who was being exalted and they wanted to make sure that when Jesus came into his, what they thought would be his earthly kingdom, they wanted to be sure that they were sitting on his right and left hand side. Now, Jesus says to them, you don't understand what you're asking. You don't understand what it is that you're asking me to do. Because what Jesus knows here is that Jesus will soon go to a cross and die and that there will be two people exalted beside Him, one on His right and one on His left, but they will be hung. And they'll be crucified. And Jesus tells James and John, His two, uh, his two disciples who are so position conscious, He says that if you want to be close to Me, if you want to follow Me, He says that the way to be close to Me is to prepare to suffer and die. The way to the kingdom is the way of the cross. They had no idea what they were asking Jesus to do, but now as they stand and watch this scene, probably it comes more clear to them. Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In verse number 34, in making that statement, Jesus fulfills His own teaching about loving one's enemy. Jesus had said earlier in Luke 6, verse 35, He said to His disciples, He said, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful, and the evil. Jesus fulfilled His own teaching here on the cross when He said to those people, thank you, when He said to those people, love your enemies. Jesus, there suffering and dying, says to those who are around Him, I forgive you. And He asked God, don't forgive these people for what they're doing because they really don't understand what they're doing. He is our great example here because He is providing forgiveness to those who are crucifying Him. As, he said, as Isaiah said in 53 and 12, because He poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for those transgressors. Jesus provided an example of forgiveness here for each and every single one of us to follow as He was able to forgive those who were crucifying Him. He makes a remarkable prophecy there. And now we hear a very remarkable prayer. You ever heard any great eloquent prayers? I was watching, um, I know y'all think that I'm a nerd anyway, but the other morning I was watching C-SPAN as the Congress comes into session. And I'm, I'm sitting there and they have a chaplain who comes out every morning and says a prayer. And while the, cha the chaplain prays, 
this most beautiful prayer, this most eloquent prayer. And you want to know what people were doing during his prayer? They're on their cell phones, just like some of y'all this morning. On cell phones, looking, grinning, laughing, you know, talking to each other. And I'm sitting here thinking, this man is praying a beautiful prayer, and nobody's listening. No wonder our nation's in the shape that it's in. Our very leaders who are supposed to be there listening, they're not, they don't care. Amen, Sparks. But this is one of the most remarkable prayers ever prayed. Here in verse number 42, this thief prays a beautiful prayer. Only Luke records this prayer. Only Luke records this scenario. The other Gospels record that both of the thieves had been mocking and rebuking Jesus. But one of them has been watching. One of them has been paying attention. And one of them has read the inscription above Jesus that says, King of the Jews. And he knows in the, in the beginning he thinks, well, this is some kind of lunatic who thought he was a king. And now he's being executed with us. We were out robbing and killing people. And now this guy who thinks he's a king, he's being executed with us. And he's no more than we are. So he was mocking. But then he heard the words of Jesus. He heard Jesus forgive these people. He heard the words of Jesus. He heard Jesus say these things to these people. And, and he saw the love and compassion that Jesus had for them. And he knew, all of a sudden, he realized this man is who he said he is. And he begins to, it begins to dawn on him that this man is a Savior. So he admits that he's a sinner. In verse 30, 41, he says these words to the other thief who's mocking Jesus. He says, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Now listen, the other thief had made fun of Jesus. He said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Both thieves asked for the same thing. Both thieves asked Jesus to save them. But one thief asked, Save yourself and us. The other thief says, Jesus, remember me. The, third, the first thief asked to be saved from his situation. How many of you know people that they only pray when they get in trouble? Or they only ask you to pray for them when they're in trouble? That kind of prayer doesn't save. I think about my own experience as a kid. I could get into more trouble and more bad situations. And boy, when I did, I'd start praying. And I'd start making deals with God. I'd say, Lord, if you can get me out of this, I promise you, I'll go to church. I promise I will. Well, you know, God wasn't hearing my prayers in you. I wasn't even a Christian. I was just talking. It's like when they would sit that geometry test down in front of me, and I, I hadn't studied, and I'd say, Lord, could you please, if you give me a... If you just give me a C on this, I can pass, and I won't have to go to summer school. Lord, please, if you let me pass, I'll do something good, I promise. 
Any, any of you been in those situations where you, you only pray when you're in trouble? Well, that was the situation of the one thief who said, save us. Show these people down here who you are. And he wasn't worried about, he wasn't concerned about who Jesus was. He was concerned, he thought that Jesus could do something for him. And that's the attitude of the church in America today. Jesus, what can you do for me? A cosmic Santa Claus that we go to when we're in trouble, or we go to when we're in need, or we go to when the situation is bad. But there's a difference here. The difference is, is that one of the thieves asked to be saved from his sins. We're told, tradition tells us that that thief was on the right hand side of Jesus. If you notice pictures of Jesus on the cross, his head is always turned to the right. And it, it, it's tradition tells us that he was there on the right hand side of Jesus and Jesus was speaking to him there. But he, he asked to be rescued not from the cross, but from his sin. Verses 40, he says, he says, to, he says this, but the other rebuked him saying, fear, don't, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and if we and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong this man has done nothing wrong look at what the thief here does he admits his guilt he admits out loud i know i'm guilty and you're guilty then he says I see the justice in my punishment. I am receiving what is due to me for how I lived on this earth. But then he proclaims the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, this man is just. This man is righteous. He does not deserve to be here. The content of this remarkable prayer that he prays. He called on Jesus personally. The the ESV says here, he called him by name. He called him Jesus. I had a, fr I had a friend who sent me a message the other day. It was a, uh, somebody who used to be in my youth group. My very first youth group. And they, they expressed, expressed to me, I'm having trouble praying. I haven't prayed in so long that now I'm having trouble praying. And I said this to them. I said, you are essentially... You're just having a conversation with Jesus. I said, just call him by name. Begin by calling him by name and then begin to have that conversation with him. The thief did that. He called on Jesus personally. Think about this. This man never saw a miracle of Jesus. He never saw Jesus heal anybody. He never saw Jesus do any of those great things. He never heard a sermon by Jesus. But yet, being in the presence of Jesus changed his life completely. And he said this, remember me when. He didn't pray to escape the cross. He believed that the Lord would establish his kingdom. He knew someday that Jesus was going to come into his kingdom. He didn't realize that it would be that day. And he looked at Jesus being crucified and he called him his king. J.C. Ryle, the great evangelist, said this, if, there were, if ever there was a soul hovering on the brink of hell, it was the soul of this thief. Some would have thought him too wicked a man to be saved, 
But it was not so. And Jesus, because of His prayer, makes Him a remarkable promise. He says to Him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with Me in paradise. As this man is about to die, he turns to Jesus and asks for forgiveness. And Jesus accepted him. Now we use bad terminology sometimes and we say we have to accept Christ. No, it's really the opposite. Christ has to accept us. Christ accepted him there on the cross. Think about some of the excuses you've ever gotten while you were witnessing to somebody. Some people would tell you, well, I've done so many bad things, I just don't think that I can be forgiven. There was no time for this thief on the cross to do any good works. He couldn't come down off of the cross and go for, and ask for forgiveness from the families who he had robbed or the people he had murdered. There was no time for good works on his part. There was no time for him to clean up his act. He, Jesus didn't say to him, well, if you can get, you know, in the next hour or so before you take your last breath, if you can kind of clean up and become more presentable and be a better person, yeah, well, I'll take you to my kingdom. There was no time for that. There was only time for one place, for one thing, and that was replacing his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. Paradise. Today. Where is paradise to you? Do you have a paradise here on this earth? Oh, my wife went on vacation last year. Her and a, uh, another group of uh, some other ladies here in our church went. And, my, and Bree didn't like to travel. And so I was worried, and Casey was worried. Casey was with her. Casey was, we were worried that Bree would get there, and she would freak out and want to get on the next plane back home. But Bree had been there for about an hour, and she sent me a text and said, this is paradise. And normally when Bree has gone on vacation, I hear from her about, if she's gone away from me, we talk about once an hour. I go a whole day and not hear from her. And then when I did hear, hear from her, she talked about the water so beautiful, and we did this, and we did this, and, and it's just, oh, it was never, you've got to come here. It was just about how great it was. Because yeah, I wasn't there, yeah. And then, you know, she gets home and this group of ladies start planning another trip to go and, and it's nothing about their husbands are going with them. It's just about, you know, paradise. <laughs> Think about this word paradise. Now listen to me. Pull in. Where we live was intended to be paradise. This earth was intended to be paradise. Sin came into this earth and ruined that paradise. Now paradise for me is where I live. And my backyard is paradise on this earth to me. It's where, I, it's where things are quiet. It's where there's solitude. and where I, I just look at the mountain. As beautiful as that is, God intended for it to be even so much greater because God's intention with this earth was was that he was going to be among us and fellowship with us do you understand that 
when sin came in to paradise there in the Garden of Eden, it ruined that. Because God had been coming, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that God had been coming in the cool of the, of the evening and He had been walking among Adam and Eve and He had been fellowshipping with them in paradise. But then sin came and ruined that situation. Now the word that Jesus uses here when He tells the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, is the same word that is used in the Greek for the Garden of Eden. So what I believe is this. I believe that Jesus was hinting at this. He was telling the thief that when you take your last breath today, you will be in fellowship with God the way that God intended it to be. You will be in paradise with God and you will be in fellowship with Him the way that He originally planned it there in the Garden of Eden. He's saying that there's going to be a restoration of the intimate personal fellowship with God that existed in Eden before the fall. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus said, made several statements from the cross. This is the only promise that Jesus made. This is the only promise that Jesus made from the cross. There's some questions that are answered here in this promise. First of all, salvation by faith alone is assured here. The thief couldn't be baptized. The thief couldn't do good works. All that, the, all that this thief had was his faith. He looked to Jesus and he placed his faith in the finished work of the cross. That was it. My works can't save me. My works can't keep me saved. Jesus did everything at the cross through faith alone. And here's the other question answered here is that when we die, heaven immediately follows our death if we are a believer. Think about that. We sing a song called Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Paradise. Paradise begins once we die. Paul said it like this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I can't think of a greater promise in this life. I'm, I won't be asleep. I won't be unaware of what's going on. I will be with the Lord in the presence of the Lord and life will really have just begun for me. Eternity will have just begun. When I leave this life, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not there's a gap in between or I'll get around to you later, I got some work to do, and then, you know, He said immediately, today 
You're going to be with me in paradise. Now, this is a remarkable prayer and a remarkable promise that Jesus makes here. This thief on the cross, he didn't have time for an eloquent stained glass homily. He didn't have time to, to do all that. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus had witnessed his repentance. Jesus had witnessed his brokenheartedness. Jesus knew the situation. And Jesus immediately forgave him. The thief was aware of his personal sin. He repented of those sins. And then he made an acceptance of Christ's salvation and eternity. Could anything be any easier than that? Than just to simply say, remember me. Remember me when you come in to your kingdom. It was a short prayer. Deserves a short sermon. Amen? Some of you finally woke up. Well, let me say this. Jesus went to this cross not just for this man, but for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl who would live past that point. He went for their salvation. This morning, the thief on the cross is a great example to us. Some of you are sitting here and you're already struggling and dealing with this. You're already talking to yourself and you're already listening to the voice of the devil telling you, well, you're not good enough. You've got plenty of time. Um, there's all kind of reasons why you shouldn't. This is what you'll have to give up. This is what you'll have to... You can't do it. Jesus said today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. So what better way to head into the celebration of Easter than to know that when we celebrate in two weeks from now the risen Savior, that you'll know for sure that you have a home in heaven, in paradise, that you're going to meet Him when you leave this earth and you're going to be with Him for eternity. Would you bow and stand... stand and bow with me this morning. Stand by your heads as Micah comes. Father, this morning I have no doubt that in this sanctuary there are people here today who are in the same situation as these two men. They're lost in their sin. One man cried out and said, Prove yourself, Jesus. Show yourself. Show us who you are. The other man simply said, Jesus, remember me. Father, I pray that this morning there will be people here this morning who would simply say, Jesus, remember me. Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak and work and move. And I pray this morning, dear God, that people would respond. Maybe there are people here this morning who have responded to your call of salvation, who need to follow with believers' baptism. 
or unite with a church in fellowship, whatever the situation. Maybe there are people who just need to come here and pray about situations in their life and in their family. Father, whatever it is, I pray this morning that we would be wise with our time. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning.